Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. We've got a bit of a different show lined up for you this week. Jeff's got a surprise topic for us. We know it's something related to coyotes, but we're going to kind of have the discussion live on the show and see where it goes, so it should be fun. At the very least, it uh, hopefully will be interesting. But before we get into that, any updates from the field? What have you guys been up to uh, in the woods? Uh, I pulled a trail camera card, uh, I guess it was yesterday, and on the way back to pull the card, I bumped a couple deer. I never saw what they were, but that's a good sign that there's some deer in the woods at least. Um, and then when I uh, pulled the card, got back to the house, took a look at it, finally got some uh, decent bucks on it. Haven't really got a chance to filter through too much to come up with any hunting plans per se on these deer. They're deer located near my house, so I'm kind of limited on where I can hunt them and how I can hunt them. I may not even get a chance to hunt them this year. We'll see. Uh, but it's still cool to get pictures of some nice deer. Um, so a couple bucks still running together in velvet. Um, so we'll see what they kind of progress into. Um, but that's about it for me. I have not been out to the farm to check the camera out there. And I also haven't, I'm still letting the one at the horse property still soak to see what I can get on camera there. So I have not been out to check those. So I don't have any reports on that. Yeah, I haven't been up to a whole lot in the field, haven't had a whole lot of time, but I did uh, go back, clear some shooting lanes on one of my tree stands. My trail cameras are showing lots of lots of does this year and lots of fawns, so that's always promising. Um, other than that, I don't have much going on. Cool. I uh, haven't really done much. I did listen to the... Uh, Joe Rogan podcast that he did recently with Doug Duran, uh, where they talked about CWD. And uh, I tell you, it's got me thinking. I don't know. They, uh, you know, Doug Duran's up in Wisconsin where they got a lot of CWD and makes me uh, worried. Worried. It's, uh, if you guys haven't listened to it, I'd check it out. They talk a lot on there about CWD and. Uh, some of the ramifications and the spread and, and a lot of the details. But it sounds like it's just a matter of time before we have it here. I know Michigan's trying to slow it down. They're, they're, they've gone away from uh, any kind of baiting, I think, this year. So I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. But on that note, let's get into our topic. So, Jeff, you said you wanted to talk about coyotes but you left us a little in the dark as far as what exactly we're talking about because you wanted to get our reactions live and in color. So Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I kind of have this big picture idea about what might be going on with uh, the coyote population and how they're impacting deer in Ohio specifically. So this is something you've just sort of formulated with anecdotal evidence or where, like where did this... It's, come from it's a little bit of connecting anecdotal evidence with what the actual scientists are saying okay. because i kind of noticed that hunters have all of this anecdotal things that you know happen it's you know they're saying i have a trail camera set up on a coyote den and you know 15 fawn i caught 15 fawn being drugged back in yeah and kind of the scientific community says 
that's hard to believe. And they kind of say, no, you didn't, you know, that right. didn't, that didn't happen. Or, you know, I, I, my, me, myself, I saw a doe dropping a fawn in the first week of August. And, you know, that's extremely abnormal. And all across the state, people are saying things like this and kind of the scientific community is saying, oh, that's a freak occurrence that, you know, or, you know, you must be mistaken. That was this year you saw a yeah, doe dropping yeah. a fawn? Wow. Yeah. First week of August this year. Wow. Yeah. So kind of my, my big picture idea is that uh, this is all going to come full circle here, but uh, I think that there is a uh, an evolutionary thing with the Ohio deer population that the scientists aren't really paying much attention to. You know, as as you guys know, Ohio at one point was completely there there were no deer in Ohio. They right. deer right. were completely right. extirpated and they conducted a restocking of deer into Ohio. And uh, you know, that that restocking mostly took place in southern Ohio and uh the details on uh where those deer came from are a little bit sparse um there's not a whole lot of details but you know most sources say that they came from neighboring states okay. you know the, the deer were trapped in neighboring states and were brought to repopulate ohio's deer population and so, then so the neighboring states the deer were never extirpated from like Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia. Well, that's what I wanted to go in here too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pennsylvania's uh, deer population. There was no deer in Pennsylvania, or very, very few deer, by uh, the early, or let me see here. I have this written down. By the by, the late eighteen hundreds, eighteen eighty, eighteen ninety. There was no deer. They started repopulating, uh, releasing deer to re populate the deer in the early 1900s that was here in ohio they did that they did that in pennsylvania, pennsylvania. ohio's didn't start till 1920 okay. so pennsylvania the records for their repopulation is they're a lot better pennsylvania got their deer from michigan kentucky maine new york and north carolina um, and then it's also suspected that they got some from Georgia because Georgia, most of the deer repopulation that was done throughout the East, deer came from Georgia. Yeah, okay. And what this does is having all these deer coming from different parts of the country and being placed in one area, well, deer in different parts of the country go into rut at different times, become you know, the, the does are going into heat at different times. And before we released, you know, start, tried to repopulate these deer, we had already eradicated all the predators. And the reason that deer and all prey species want to, you know, all have their young at the same time is a biological mechanism called uh, predator swamping mm -hmm. or pred predator saturation, which basically means that there's so much food out there that the predators get full and can't can't eat anymore. Right. You right. know, so it's survival by the masses. Right. You know, 
but with all these deer coming from all these different places, the, the, the bucks are rutting at different times. The does are coming in the heat at different times and therefore also dropping their young at different times. And there was no predators to check this, to force them to go back to having, you know, a strong rut and where all the bucks are looking, chasing does and all the does are in heat. And with what, how we fragmented the landscape, there was very few quality areas to have fawns. So it was actually beneficial to space out when they were, ha- when they were dropping their fawns mm. because the quality habitat was limited. Right. So there wasn't good fawning habitat for all the deer to drop at once. Right. And does become extremely territorial when they have dropped their fawns. Right. You know, they don't, they don't want another doe in their area. Right. So they could space out when they're using this quality habitat. So now that predators have came back, primarily in Ohio coyotes, I think that, uh, these, the deer are still showing these traits where they, you know, you don't have that really strong rut where all the does are in heat and, you know, all the bucks are chasing, you know, that, that doesn't happen as much as it used to. And that the does are not all dropping their fawns at the same time. And by spacing out those births, they're basically allowing there to be a new meal on the table for the coyote every day, you know, because instead of them getting a buffet one time, they're getting, you know, a three course meal every day throughout the summer. And, you know, the scientific community, the, the main study that is used in Ohio to say coyotes impact on deer was a deer done in 1999 at the, in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Um, in that study, they determined that 20% of coyote scat had deer hair in it, which is a pretty low number compared to some other, you know, compared to what hunters seem to see mm-hmm. and uh, some other studies that were done in the South because there's also a distinct divide between the scholars in the North, you know, in the Northeast and the scholars in the Southeast. The scholars in the Southeast are saying coyotes are hammering our fawns. Yeah. You know, they're, they're killing 75, 85% where in the Northeast, most of the scholars and the game agencies are saying coyotes aren't really having a great impact. Um, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, um, in their uh, radio collaring studies of uh, fawns, are saying that they typically uh, see a 55 to 72% survival rate of fawns. Um, so, but the flaw in these studies, uh, the, uh, oh, and let me go back, the, uh, uh, Cuyahoga Valley National Park study, they attributed that 25% um, to the deer, to the fawns or the coyotes scavenging uh, roadkill deer. 
they said there was very little evidence that they were hunting any adult deer and uh they only found one case where they suspected that a coyote may have preyed upon a fawn really um, so yeah they were saying that this was 99 you said yes this was in 99 it's and i don't know i guess maybe correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding is that coyotes primarily prefer a live catch versus scavenging if available i mean i've done some small anecdotal studies i guess where like you throw a carcass out um and the coyotes don't touch it they just don't bother it they don't they're not interested in it until it gets to be the dead of winter and everything's frozen solid and then they'll go after a you know a deer carcass but primarily they don't bother it you know i know down at our place down in southern ohio um we you know the deer carcasses there's been years where we've seen parts pc parts of deer carcasses year after year that just didn't get bothered mm-hmm. i mean other yeah. than just the other things that are kind of picking at it and bugs but if they're such scavengers you would think they would get into that pretty quick yeah yeah and the scientific community has basically said that <clears throat> western coyote they they prefer live game they they are uh you know hunting uh jackrabbits and prairie dogs and other small mammals um but what they have seen in studies in the eastern united states is that they have changed their preference to scavenging um and that uh, coyotes will go great distances to scavenge food rather than to hunt it. Now, whether that's the case, you know, I don't know, you know, but that's that's what the scientific community, uh, at least in the Northeast, is is saying. I think they do, and not that I've put a, a trail camera over one, but I, I do think they get into the gut piles pretty quick because that's... Like that's easily digestible, nutrient rich. Like that's that's gold for a coyote, I think. Mm-hmm. But as far as like a a carcass that's been deboned of the vast majority of the meat, you know, there's if they can catch a rabbit or a mouse or or a a mole or something, you know, then I think they versus sitting there picking at what little scraps are left. Maybe, maybe that's what you're seeing. I don't know. It could yeah. be right. Yeah. A ro- I mean, a roadkill deer yeah. obviously would have all the goodies still left with it right. for the most part. And, uh, you know, what I've seen on, when I've put a trail camera on a carcass is, you know, your first scavenger that always shows up is your red tail hawk. They show up first and pick all the goodies that are left, you know, the eyeballs and, um, you know, other things that people, the eyeballs, the tongues, you know, those are all good, easy, digestible pieces of meat that humans typically leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with my, my theory here is uh, <clears throat> that although the coyotes may not be actively seeking fawns as much as they would in in the West. It's still because of how Ohio's deer population 
spaces out their birthing and when they're dropping those does or when they're dropping those fawns, when the does are dropping the fawns, that it's just becoming, it's an easy target for them. So here's a question. Is it, is it that the population isn't timed on their breeding or is it that Ohio has such good habitat that the fawns that were born that spring are reaching sexual maturity as like this second rut and so then it ends up looking like a strung out um, breeding season and the coyotes are then getting after um, I guess the the fawns of the previous year's newborns that are born maybe a little later uh they're not in with the rest of them is there any what are your thoughts on that that's that's very likely that that's also happening um because the the uh doe that i saw dropping uh her fawns in early august i i believe that that was a last year's fawn a yearling and that she was bred late and then was dropping her fawn, um, which gives that fawn a very low chance of survivability anyways, um, whether a coyote gets it or not, because it's, you know, not going to have a lot of time to put on fat before the weather gets cold. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that is a real possibility. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of Ohio anecdotal evidence with hunters saying that they're they're experiencing these coyotes really, you know, the coyotes came and the deer went, you know, and um, that, you know, they, they put a trail camera on a coyote den and, you know, saw X amount of fawns being drug in there. And there's a lot of people who you know, have their trail cameras out in the summer and are catching a lot of fawns that are very, you know, disproportional amount that it it doesn't really fit with them being the fawns of yearlings um, because there's so many of them. Okay. You know, yearlings shouldn't be that large of the percentage of the population mm-hmm. that everyone is noticing these small late season fawns. So I guess what's your, what's your theory on how long this takes to correct? And that's the next thing I wanted to get into is that there, there is a positive to this. And that is that with just regular biological mechanisms, this will be corrected. Because the does that want to and who are genetically predisposed to breeding outside of the core window, at their, their fawns have a lesser likelihood of survival. So they're not passing those genes on for later or even earlier uh, fawning. So it, it will correct Um, and it's going to be a good thing for hunters because when this does correct, it will 
cause a very intense rut. You know, you'll have that rut where the deer, the bucks are running around aimlessly. You know, they're, they're really strongly rutting and you can catch the bucks making mistakes. At what point does a fawn who reaches sexual maturity, say, in their first year, um, they get impregnated, they have a late-season fawn, are they perpetually on that cycle then, or can they flip to a normal fawning, normal breeding? You know, if that fawn gets impregnated in January, or, sorry, no, yeah, like, so yeah, last spring's fawn, doesn't reach a sexual maturity in January in that second rut, or late December, whatever you want to call it, um, drops a fawn late July, early August, are they, because they can't be ready to breed again middle of November. A lot of times can they? they are. They are ready to breed again in mid-November. And, um, you know, there there is a difference um, between those yearlings coming into that, that first, uh, heat and then our uh, first estrus and then them that next year you know there there's typically is if if they as a yearling if they do um reach sexual maturity typically that is a later you know they reach that later in the year and then the next year they typically are on a closer to normal pattern um it's closer to the correct time um but a doe that is genetically predisposed to, you know, being bred later, um, you know, will always be bred later. You know, that's genetics play a factor because there's also, you know, weather conditions that play a factor in when a doe, um, you know, becomes uh, sexually receptive. But see, I thought it was primarily. I thought I had heard that primarily it's photo period is what triggers, like that breeding phase, triggers the does to come into estrus. So, a doe that, like you said, Georgia or we know Florida's rut is very different. If you take a doe from one of those states, where the rut is very different in timing than it is in Ohio. Your argument is that that deer will never totally acclimate to a born and raised Ohio deer. Correct, because there there is a genetic factor to it. Okay. Um, you know how much of a factor that plays. You know I don't know, um, but studies have shown that there is a genetic factor. You know it's. Uh, the photo period is the biggest factor. Um, and then they say that weather plays a factor and then genetics, you know, so there is a genetic factor component to it. So if you're, if you, if they started repopulating and you said like the 1920s in Ohio, Mm -hmm. so we're talking what we're coming up on a hundred years. Right. Right. So if it, you know, they go into cycle one time a year, you're talking a hundred generations of animals. You're expecting, 
I would have expected it to have happened long ago, I guess, is yeah. my thought. The, the problem with that is that the predators weren't back yet, and the predators were the things they didn't force that the were issue. correcting, correcting the issue. Um, predators, coyotes primarily, um, didn't really start making their way back till the 70s and really didn't blow up and become as widespread as they are now until the 90s and the late 90s at that you know so it's it's sort of a new thing for the deer to have to contend with you know in biological terms they they haven't had a whole lot of time to correct right so in what you're calling a strong rut what does do all the does get bred in like a one to two day window like actual they're they're bred they've been fertilized or what is that typically i would say that 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 the prime the majority of the does are being bred in a two-week period um and with a strong center of that you know with you know i would say bell curve yeah yeah the bell curve um but probably in a two-week period where currently a lot of the does are being bred within a month you know you 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 see people saying that you know i saw a a buck breeding a doe on halloween but then you also see people in gun season saying i saw a buck breed a doe you know, so right. it's early December through late October. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a much larger period. So there is still that center of the bell curve that you know we see as the rut, but that rut could be a lot more intense. Right. Right, and I can. I mean, I could agree with that in the sense that just from my time in the field and in the stand, I don't see the rut locally here in Ohio that they talk about in, you know, like the mid, the Midwest, you know, the Iowa, the, those guys, and granted it may have a deer population and deer density issue too. But, um, I mean, they talk like if you sit an all day sit in a stand on a good trail, I mean, they're seeing 20, 30 deer just cruising by and they get to pick whichever one they want. Um, you know, I don't have access to that kind of property, obviously, but my experience with hunting the rut that everyone talks about or pre-rut, um, you know, pre-rut rut that everyone talks about the time, you know, you're talking early November. Um, yes, there is more activity, but I don't see it where it's the buck parade. Right. I mean, I just haven't seen that where why we're in the locations that I hunt. I just haven't seen it. Another question I have for you is you've, you've experienced the rut in the nor- Northeast Ohio and in Southeast Ohio. Do you notice a difference in the intensity between Northeast Ohio and Southeast Ohio? Personally, for me, um, I haven't, I mean, my best experience with a rut 
last year in Northeast Ohio, because prior to that I was pretty much down in Southeast. Um, and last year was a little different because we had gotten um, we had gotten drawn for the Summit County Park Hunt, and we started our hunt on November 11th, if I remember correctly. Um, so it was kind of we were busting into the woods during the middle to late of the what you would call the rut. Um, I personally didn't see a ton of activity, but I know you guys both saw deer, especially you, Jason. You mm-hmm. saw a lot of deer. Yeah. I saw, I mean, what you would call like typical rut. You know, there was bucks on their feet during the day up moving around searching for receptive does. Um, so I, but I also saw that the year before, um, down in Southeast Ohio, it wasn't, uh, trying to think. I did see a, a, yeah, I did see a buck with a doe and he was just sticking right with her. I'm assuming waiting for her to become receptive. And then I did have, you know, a couple hours later, you know, I had another one or two bucks come by, um, on that hunt in Southeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last year in Northeast Ohio was kind of an exception to what I've seen because last year, Northeast Ohio, I witnessed a pretty strong rut. Um, when it was on the, the bucks were running around like crazy. Yeah. Um, but from my experience, I went to college in Muskingum County. Um, and down there is where I noticed that there was a difference in to me in the rut that down there when the rut was on the deer were the bucks were running crazy um you know they they would run through campus in the middle of the day because all they all they had on their mind was you know that that hot dough and you know i i never really experienced it to to that intensity in northeast ohio before right and up until last year i hadn't seen a rut like that in northeast ohio maybe that means it's uh it's getting close to correcting maybe we're uh well we're due for some good ruts yeah my my thought on that is that the areas that that the coyotes immigrated to first are already starting to correct okay where the area areas where the coyotes came a little later are still not quite corrected um and that's why you you notice a little bit of a difference because the areas where the coyotes came first where there was a lot more woodland and places for them to hide they have already started this process where in northeast ohio where it took them a little bit longer to get here um because of lack of habitat for coyote they uh you know the the system hasn't corrected itself yet so you still have these oddball uh situations where the does are 
being bred throughout a larger window in the fall and uh, then they are also dropping their fawns through a larger window in the spring. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can, again, anecdotally, I mean, I, in the last two years, I could speak to um, seeing small fawns uh, late in the summer. Um, I mean, this year, currently, uh, near my house, there's a um, location where people are seeing there's two small fawns that are pretty visible right by the road and they're very small they couldn't have been born probably i would say before july 15th um i mean they're just they're small they still have you know clear spots um i mean they're not even close to being the size of other yearlings that you see on camera or whatever um, and then also, this was down in Southeast Ohio last year. Um, I, opening day, I was moving through the woods a little bit and I came across a fawn that had froze to death. Um, but it was very, very small, um, smaller than the yearlings that we typically see down there. Opening day of gun season? Opening day of gun season. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I saw a yearling fawn that had, or not a yearling fawn, but a fawn that had frozen to death, but it was tiny i mean it probably didn't weigh i would i didn't pick it up and move it around other than it was stiff as a board um so i knew it had been dead for a while but um maybe weighed 40 pounds hmm. i mean it was very small small dog is what i thought it was when i saw it laying on the ground it was curled up next to a tree interesting well uh it's been an interesting conversation you guys have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up no? I don't think so. I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I I think I explained this and got my thoughts out there and you know, hope hopefully uh if if my theory is true that hopefully the system will correct itself and we'll be getting some you know, the yeah. future looks bright. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up here. As usual, subscribe to the show keep up to date with uh, the new episodes like i said we're going to try and do one a week follow us on facebook we're ohio huntsman on facebook and ohio huntsman podcast on instagram and stay tuned for next week's episode